welcome to the KitCast podcast. Three middle-aged Asian men from the North give their view on the hot topics of the week and much more besides. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the KitCast podcast. Uh, Amy Kawa, how are you, boys? Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, good over here. You're well, Carver. Okay, so um, what's been in the news then? I think uh, there's been one story that's been dominating for the last few days at least, and that's the um, killing of George Floyd in uh, Minneapolis over in um, the US. So I think uh, what we're going to do is try and focus on that. So before we go into that, for people who may not know the full story, I'm just going to try and give a brief uh, rundown of what's actually happened, and then we can jump right in. So um, he was basically... Um, alleged to have passed some counterfeit notes. The police were called, and as part of uh, restraining him, there was a group of, I think, uh, four police officers. Uh, one of them, Derek Chauvin, has, and I'm sure we've all seen the viral like uh, videos now, where he's basically knelt on uh, George Floyd's uh, neck for up to nine minutes, I think it is, and sadly, uh, George Floyd then passed away from that. Um, as a result of that, uh, there has already been some uh, convictions of the police officers involved as well. And we've all, again, seen the pictures around the world, not just in the US, but it's actually spread now, isn't it? Where there's been a big protest along the whole Black Lives Matter um, hashtag. And that those protests have taken various forms. They have been you know, violent. There have been some very peaceful protests as well. So I think uh, we can all sit here and nobody's going to condone the actual you know, killing itself. Um which was obviously, you know, brutal and horrific. And I think from our, you know, perspective as 43-year-old men or, you know, even slightly younger, I know, but going back to our time 25 years ago, one of the big uh, news stories was um, the uh, killing of Rodney King, or not the killing, actually, you know, it was uh, the uh, brutal attack on him. And the the uh, images that we've seen have been very similar to that. So 25 years on, has anything actually changed? We're still seeing young black men being brutalised and killed by white police officers in America. So I guess what I want to bring you guys in is to talk about the uh, reaction and the protests. And can you justify the level of violence that the protests have actually um, uh, seen and uh, the looting, the violence, etc., that we've seen? Is there any justification for that kind of outpouring? There is a justification for the protests and the outrage that's going on because what we're seeing and what we've seen a number of times over the last few years and going back 20 30 years is the fact that modern day lynchings are happening in front of us in the 100 years ago during the segregation era they used to get black men and they used to lynch them for looking at white women and we're still seeing that happening in front of us and if nothing's changed in 100 years people have the right to protest people have the right to be outraged I think, um, okay, first of all, let me just start by saying, I uh, just want to echo Zed's words as well by saying that this incident itself was, uh, I mean, uh, quite rightly condemned by uh, everybody, uh, condemned by all of us. It was truly disgusting. It was abhorrent. Um, just to pick up on Carver's uh, point the modern-day lynchings, I think that's a very divisive phrase. I, can you really call it modern day lynchings um okay it's attacks by people in a system that was designed to try you know and safeguard us to try and protect us which i totally understand and you've got people in there now that haven't done their job that aren't up to doing their job 
but can you say it's modern day lynching? The lynchings is a very provocative word, and that's a kind of. No, sorry, I'm just going to say that that's the kind of uh, phraseology that uh, people use, and it, it's very divisive. It, you know, it doesn't do anything to help gen, you know, um, foster relations in any kind of way. When you use the term lynchings, you know, it, you'll you'll have um, visions, you'll have uh, images of actual lynchings in the past. You know, during the slave era, and it's it, it's it's a very powerful image, Carver. And you're saying a black man dying while a policeman knelt on his neck is not a powerful image? It is something that, you know, a lynching is when a person or a group of people kill someone for an alleged offence. And it's usually based on race. If you go back to a really famous lyncher from America, which was Emmett Till, there was a white woman, Carolyn Bryant, who accused him of whistling at her. A week before George Floyd was killed, you had a woman in Central Park uh, not uh, walking, uh, well, let her dog off her leash in a bit where she's not meant to be. A black man asked her not to do it, and she rang the police and said that I'm being threatened by a black man. That has got very, very strong echoes of what Carlin Bryant did to Emmett Till. Just to pick up on that, but that same woman, that same woman got fired from her place of work. Yes, she suffered the consequence because it went out on social media. However, that was one lady who's done it, who's been caught and has gone viral how many other times has this happened that you she saw a black person and her instinctive racist reaction was i'm not getting what i want i've been challenged by a black male so i'm going to ring the police i'm going to say he is threatening me when he was not threatening her so yes lynching may be a term that might be problematic for you or might be problematic for people but in my view i think that was the lynching i think as well um one of the points here that you touched on is that it is the fact that it's the police force that are doing it, isn't it? It's the fact that these are the people that are paid to preserve life, to protect life, to uphold you know, law and order. So to my mind, it's like if the people that you rely on to give you justice somehow can feel that it's all right to hold their knee. I know it's only you know one person, but um, it's probably you know, deeper than that. If they, what, what makes them think that they can do that, that they can put their knee on a black man's neck for you know, nine minutes, even though there were other police officers there, there were people there that were you know, asking them to stop. And clearly in the videos that we've seen as well, the man is you know, asking over and over again, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, let me stand up. So, I mean, in, in terms of uh, the wording, whether we use, you know, lynching or murder, the question, I guess, that I want to ask is, and Carver's, you know, mentioned um, a couple of the incidents I touched on, the Rodney King thing. What, why is this still actually happening in America now? You know, I um, a few weeks back, we did that whole thing on uh, institutional racism in the UK. And I've always been an advocate of our institutions. You know, I've always believed in our institutions, and not just ours. I've always believed that any kind of institution was there, created for the betterment, for the good of the people, for the communities. But even I'm struggling uh, to come to terms with this. And I'm wondering, I'm asking myself the same question, that is there, you know, is, is there a fundamental problem with the institution itself? Or is it the people within that institution that haven't, you know, um, they haven't quite uh, got to grips with what they're doing there or why they're there or have they got their own agenda. And I'm 
I'm struggling with the whole uh, with the whole thing myself, really, because I'd love to stand here and say, yeah, you know what? It's a few bad apples and it, it'll be OK. But with, with the sheer number of people, the you know, ethnic minorities or black people, mostly that um, the hands of the police at the hands of the criminal justice system, you've got to start asking real questions. You've got to think what the hell is going on? I don't think it's a time for asking questions anymore. I think everyone knows institutional racism, structural racism exists. You've got police, you've got the army, you've got institutions that are all been around for a couple hundred years, whether it's in the UK, whether it's in America. And these institutions were designed to, they've been designed to subjugate people of colour, people who aren't part of the majority root majority race. These institutions are designed to protect white people. They're designed with white people in mind, and they have not been modernised. In England, again, you know, I mean, I'd like to argue the toss on that one, but now that we're focusing primarily on the US, I mean, again, I can't, I, I can't disagree with what you're saying there. What I'd like to hope is that, um, you know, I'd like to hope that we're all wrong in the sense that the, the institutions themselves are, you know, held to a higher account and are worthy of that uh, higher account. But it's just a few people in that uh, institution itself. Well, I don't think it is. I think look at the reaction of the police to the protesters, the peaceful protesters, and you're still seeing police being explicitly violent in the wake of this incident that has moved so many people to protest, and you're still seeing images of police violence. And that, to me, says it's an institutional problem, both in America, both in, even in the UK. We, we can't deny it's not a British problem either. It's not just an American thing. It's a British problem. You could British uh, police have shot and killed black men who are unarmed, and they have killed black kids in custody. So it's not just an American thing. It's a problem that exists over here as well. And it is not just one institution. It's the police, it's the health, it's the judiciary, it's through everything. For your point on the um, on the videos that we're seeing across the pond, though, um, it's, it, I mean, I'm going to use the word context because we're only seeing snippets and we're only seeing what the person that's shooting the video wants us to see how do we know they're not being heavily provoked how do we know that they haven't been attacked in the first place which is why they're having to fight back those are the kind of things now i'm not excusing the police in any way shape or form i've seen videos there where uh, there's um, a guy in a four by four and he's trying to steamroll through um, you know a crowd and that is inexcusable. That is disgusting. I totally accept that. But what I'm saying is that when we watch these videos, you've got to be really careful not to jump to con uh, conclusions straight away because it's all about context. There have been two or three videos out there where you have seen police attacking the media. You've seen the protesters attacking the media. Now, we can't just say on both sides, we've got to look at these within the context. You know, you, uh, there was a cameraman from some Australian news agency who's been to war zones, who's been to Iraq, who's been to Afghanistan, has never been attacked, and he got attacked by American police, and it was on camera. You've got the CNN people who were arrested by the police. Now, yeah, we can look at it in context, but there's examples there where they're so out of control and they're so defensive about being questioned and being tried people trying to hold them to account that they're just lashing out at anyone everyone okay so i mean in terms of the policing response i guess uh, it ties back to my original question to you guys in terms of the you know reaction to this and i'm talking specifically about the rioting the looting 
um, taking you know, people out of their cars and you know, beating them up. Uh, in terms of that as a response, I mean, uh, the police tried to take the knee in support of one of the protests in America, didn't they? And they were trying to support the actual you know, protesters and they were still getting uh, pelted and attacked, you know, then as well. So are the police almost in a no-win in a situation? They've got to maintain law and order, but the level of violence that um, has been provoked by this, and we've all seen the pictures of them, you know, looting and you know, all the things that are talked about, you know, arson and things like that. The question is, again, that can you justify that? And then surely the police have got a duty then to deal with that, you know, level of violence and protest. The reaction of the people when they are taking the knee, I mean, they are trying to be conciliatory, it just shows there's a total lack of trust in the police by those protesters, by the black community. But then Zed is absolutely right then. Uh, you know, the, the police are screwed either way then. They're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, which is unfair because, like I keep saying, you know, well, like I said before as well, there could possibly be just a few bad apples that have ruined this for everybody in, in terms of the police force itself. Now, there's police out there and, you know, all you do is you just do a quick Google search on Google Images for policemen, or uh, police and uh, what was the search that we did? Um, uh, just fostering good relations with um, black and ethnic minorities. Don't obviously type all of that in, but there's something along those lines. And you'll see how um, you, there's thousands of images there of white policemen that, uh, you know, they're hugging black, uh, you know, black people, Hispanics, Chinese, all sorts. And there is that race relation. There is, you know, good community fostered, you know, fostered a uh, good community. We're not saying that every single individual policeman is a bad apple or is racist. Generally, as an institution, all the evidence shows that they have uh, unconscious or a conscious racial bias against black men and even black women to a certain extent. And it's happening all the time. If it was a few bad apples, it would not be an, something that you read about eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 times a year. Okay, fair enough. I understand all of that. But in terms of the response that uh, the police are getting from the community itself, from the black community itself, I think it's instead of being conciliatory, instead of saying, right, okay, let's open up a dialogue, you know, all you are getting, well, not, okay, this is a, a sweeping generalization. I do apologize if I'm about to offend anyone, but all you're getting right now is violence. You're getting... Um, you know, looting right now, and black businesses are being looted as well. Asian businesses are being looted over there as well. Indian businesses, on the why? That's what I don't understand. Yes, I understand, but again, what you need to look at with the looting is this is not everyone. There's lots of evidence out there that people are trying to stop the looters. People are trying to stop this from taken away from the actual point of the protest which is the police brutality which is the racism that the black community feels that police have towards them and what's happening is that certain media outlets are twisting this and are purely focusing on the looting and the violence and the wider messages being lost yes there are idiots you could get any group of people in there and there's going to be a minority of idiots what we can't do is let that take the focus off the whole point of the protest, which is police brutality. And I think there is um, a human kind of, you know, uh, reaction as well. That the first, the first kind of instinct when you look at that, you know, video is anger, isn't it? Uh, it is anger, and it takes you have to go through that process of grief almost. And anger is at the forefront of it. So I think in the first couple of days, 
that's what we saw. It was just an outpouring of anger. And again, it's you've got to you know question that the reason that people, and especially these black people, are having to go out and loot these businesses because they don't have any stake in it, do they? And I think uh, there's an argument to say that you only react like that if you saw disenfranchised, you saw you know detached from the actual you know society and the norms. You don't have a stake in it, so you think, okay, well, I'm going to burn this down or I'm going to loot it because it doesn't have any influence on me. It doesn't affect me as such. Do you know what I mean? So. To me, even though you can't justify it, you can't justify it, I can understand it. Because when you're angry, that's what you go to, don't you? You destroy the, the symbols and the things that you think are part of the problem or part of the oppression. And, okay, I'm not having a go at um, uh, anyone here, but if they've just focused more on the peaceful side of it, as opposed to what they need is a unifying force in there. They need another Dr. Martin Luther King right now, I think, in order to bring everybody back around and say, right, this is the path that we need to take and let's everybody focus on one area. Right now, there seems to be too many people doing their own little thing. One's following a peaceful protest. Uh, the others are, are smashing everything up. Some are looting. Some are rioting. In you know, it... <sighs> I don't know what you're trying to say. They, they could get another community leader like Martin Luther King who could come out, do a load of nice speeches, get a few quotable moments, and then everything would revert back to normal. And this, un this anger is because of a pattern of repeated behaviour by the police where all the victims are young black men. And there has to be an anger there. If we as Asian men were being treated like that and if our community was being treated like that, we would react in such anger. And you can understand that anger. And if that anger for a minority of people has gone over to looting, they're a bunch of idiots. But they are picking, like Zangia said, on symbols of capitalism. Unemployment is high. They've not got any futures. They've not got any way of expressing themselves. And there may be an absence of leadership. I don't think there is. I think there are some clear leaders there. You can't negate the whole protest movement because of the idiots who are looting. Yeah, and I think one um, important point, Carl, that you raised, and again, the whole point that we, we're actually talking about this because of the fact that the video went, uh, you know, viral, yeah? So news outlets and, you know, social media, they will always be drawn to, you know, images of burning streets and, you know, people being, uh, you know, beaten up because that's what gets the views, isn't it? So I think, again, we just got to put a bit of context on it and to say, OK, well, there was some, uh, you know, rioting and, you know, looting, but there has been a hell of a lot of peaceful, you know, protests as well. So I think I just want to open it up slightly to talk about the um, reaction, not just from the black community, but from uh, the whole, you know, community. So, um just trying to think of a way to phrase this. So have the white community done enough? And should they be doing more? Because one of the questions I've had from a lot of my friends is, well, I don't really know what I should be doing. Should I be condemning it? Or but then will I just be seen as just being tokenistic and you know following the crowd? Or what should I condemn? What should I do as a white person? Well, I think there needs to be more than a little black square on social media. And they need to take a proactive role in actually acknowledging that white privilege does exist and they do have privilege that helps white people and it doesn't help people of colour, especially in places like the UK and America. But I think a lot of it is go out there and support it. If you don't want to go to a protest because of the situation we're in with COVID-19, find other ways of promoting anti-racist messages, messages about 
helping the oppressed people. Message is about promoting racial unity. You know, it's hard for one person or individual to make a change, but you can do little things like that to let people know and challenge racism where you see it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm taking issue with... Well, I mean, generally, on the whole, I agree with everything that Carl was saying, except for, um, you know, white people right now, they're in a bit of a flux. They're, they are caught between a rock and a hard place, just like Zed said. You know, what do you do? If you go out there, you do try and uh, be supportive and whatever... People will say, oh, you're just pandering. You're just, uh, you know, it's tokenism. And uh, you're just doing this just to get a, a few brownie points. And Yeah, it can be tokenistic. But if you're just doing a black square for one day and thinking that's, that's the end of it and that's your support for uh, black inequality and Black Lives Matter, then I am going to ask you, where were you? If you go back to posting pictures of Prosecco, then you're not taking part in it. And the question has to be asked, where were you about income inequality? Where were you about structural racism? Where were you about the achievement gap? Where were you about the class ceiling? Where were you about the injustices of the justice system? Where were you about housing? Where were you about Islamophobia? It's happening all the time. You have to be go beyond just a tokenistic gesture on social media like a lot of people are doing. Well, that's my, that's my point, that all of these companies that have come out, it's like ITV and MTV and all these that, uh, you know, stop broadcasting for, uh, what, nine minutes or eight minutes, 49 seconds. And um, all these celebrities that are coming out, putting a black uh, thing on their Instagram. And that's what they're doing right now, because they think that's what's expected of them. If they don't do that, one, it'll hurt their brand. Two, uh, you know, um, it'll hurt the bottom line, which is the most important thing, uh, especially. Yeah, um, a lot of um, corporations and corporate, uh, you know, America and, you know, here as well, they've all put out roughly the same thing, haven't they? Um, we totally condemn the killing. Um, we don't condone the rioting, but we really want to support the actual, uh, you know, movement itself. But very few of them have gone any further than that, have they? And I think that if um, the level of anger is such that I think the organisations have almost, you know, read it wrong, they need to do a little bit more. Um, I was just, you know, looking at something today, and the company that's actually come out with one of uh, the most um, damning kind of statements is Ben and Jerry. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just trying to flip, flip through it now, yeah, and I'm not going to read through um, all of it, but they've actually laid out a four-part a four plan to help bring, bring down white supremacy, and that's their words, you know, not mine. So, you know, they are actually, you know, companies there who are actually saying something from the heart, but the rest of it just stinks a little bit of tokenism, doesn't it? Absolutely, that's exactly what you need. You need literally... More Ben and Jerry's. I know it's a phrase I use every Saturday night, but I've had one too many, yeah. But no, no, that's exactly what you need. What angers me most, or what, uh, you know, it breaks my heart that you've got all these people saying, yeah, you know, we want justice, we want equality, we want equity, we want this, we want that. But there's no plan. There's no four point plan, like a Ben and Jerry's four point plan, in order to drive this forward. Because what scares me, and it's happened so many times. It happened after Rodney King, where there were riots as well in LA at the time, uh, is that uh, people say, yeah, 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 we want equality, we want equality. And then two weeks later, something else is on the news, and then this gets pushed back, and we're right back to where we are. These companies, what more can we expect from them? Because generally, the companies that are putting uh, statements out there, they've built their profits on exploiting people of colour in the developing world. 
So are they, are, are they really bothered about it? I mean, the clear example is the NFL who put out a statement, blanket statement, like every other organisation, talking about how we're going to support this, how it's out of order and how Black Lives Matter. Yet they won't let Colin Kaepernick, who took the knee, the first quarterback to take the knee, play in the NFL. Okay, so one of the um, immediate talked about uh, you know leaders and the need for community leaders. I think what this has done is that a couple of people have come to the fore that maybe we didn't expect. Um, I'm talking specifically about uh, the speech that John Boyega gave at you know Hyde Park the other day, the fellow from Star Wars, and there was the um, 16-year-old uh, tennis player as well, Coco Goff as well, wasn't it? So I think there are people who are now reacting to this and are taking a, a you know a leading role. And just to go back to what Carver said, and one of the points that Coco Goff made, and I think it's really you know salient, she said that um, if if your culture, or sorry, if your life is touched by black culture, then this should actually mean something to you, to you rather. And all of our fashions, all of our culture, all of our music is now intrinsically linked with black culture, isn't it? So this is now something that affects everybody. And maybe that's the difference this time to what happened 25 years ago. That No, I think 25 years ago as well, it was uh, quite, uh, quite well, uh, vo- well, I can't even get my words out, woven in. Uh, into people's lives at that time, you know. I mean, uh, at that time, I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh, N.W. Uh, N.W.O. Uh, Tupac, Biggie, uh, Wu Tang. You know, we used to listen to all of that uh, back then. And um, you know, it wasn't just that; uh, it was the clothing, it was uh, everything else that went along with that. It was quite um, intrinsically linked already back then. Uh, I mean, even more so now. But if we didn't do anything back then. What's to say that we're we're going to fight the fight this time? Because whether there's been a failure of leadership across the board has been at the real leadership in the White House at number 10 here. How, you know, Donald Trump going out basically encouraging the police to shoot people when the shooting stop when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So if Obama would have been in, then um, Floyd would still be alive. Is that what we're saying? No, what I'm saying is that Donald Trump's reaction has hardly helped. Obama's reaction even it was a lot more helpful. And I think when we're talking about leaders, we can't we can't put the emphasis on the oppressed. We can't say to the black people in the USA that you need to have your own leaders and you need, you need to get yourselves out of this problem. There is a leadership of the government of the country and we need to look at them. And if you look at the leadership in America, the prime minister, the president, sorry, and the White House, there's been a total failure of leadership there. They have not come out to placate the situation. Okay, as much as I hate uh, Trump as well, I mean that's just um, that's just scapegoat. Oh, so we can't, so the most powerful man in America, the most powerful man in the world, we're scapegoating him when he abdicates responsibility for trying to sort out this problem that's occurring here. No, no, you're right. Okay, no, he does have a responsibility, but to say that it's all on his shoulders, surely that can't be right. When it comes to leadership, he's the leader of the free world. He should be an example of how to lead in a situation like this. And his leadership has been poor. I think he, he, he you know, famously shut down the lights in the outside the White House, which, which only happens at you know, times of war. And he uh, you know, retired to his bunker. Now, from my you know, point of view, that's not real kind of effective you know, leadership at all. Even today, he's come out where the um, unemployment you know, figures are kind of better than expected. And the phrase that he used was, oh, this is a great day for George Floyd as well. Uh, he's going to be looking down on us from up there and he'll be thinking, 
you know, this is a great day as well. So it becomes very, very difficult to have any kind of, um, not, you know, support, but any kind of faith in him. And it's not just him. Let's just have a look at the record of uh, Boris Johnson and some of the things that he said. I think uh, uh, Carver will be able to give me specific examples, but, you know, referring to people who were, uh, you know, burkas as, you know, letterboxes, uh, you know, referring to black people having uh, watermelon smiles, so the people who are in charge of the free world, how can we how can we have any faith that they're going to treat black people equally when this is the way that they're actually you know, reacting and this is what their uh, the terminology is that they're actually you know, using? And actually, what Donald Trump does, he actually says incendiary remarks that is going to wind up people, that is not going to placate the protests. He makes the protests even worse, and that is a failure of leadership. And we can't just say or. Oh, the black people need to have leaders and they need to have leaders that are going to speak for them when the ultimate leader is failing in that situation. What I'm not saying is that um, they don't need leaders to speak for them. They need the black uh, community right now over there need a leader, just like uh, Martin Luther King, to unify the entire thing, to serve one distinct purpose right now. Do you know why Martin Luther King is always held up as a paragon of civil rights. It was the fact that he was non he was a peaceful protester. And the question remains, if he was that effective beyond just giving a nice speech now and then, would we have had real change? What is that the kind of leader you need that need now? Someone who's going to come in, who's going to pe- preach yeah, that- that's a very unfair comment because you know he was dead before uh, any change, any real change had happened. What is his legacy beyond you know a few small bits of progress? But did does that kind of leadership, because that kind of leadership has always been present within the black community, how effective has it been in gaining change? And is that what the people who are protesting have realised? That we need to protest loud, we need to be heard, because the message of saying, I'm going to turn the other cheek, we're going to do peaceful protests, we're going to negotiate, we're going to be better than the people who are oppressing us, that message is not working, is it? Just to turn that you know, back on you then, yeah, in terms of, do you think that black people, I'm not just talking about um, the leadership now, um, can you hold black people accountable for the situation that they're in at the moment? And I guess the more important question is, what can they do as a community to improve their lot? I, I personally, as awful as it sounds, I do say that uh, the onus is on them, that there is a certain sense of responsibility that they should hold for, you know, pulling themselves out of this. And I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe what you're saying. You're talking rubbish. You're talking trash. And you're being racist to a point. But that's not my objective here. What I'm saying is that they understand there's a serious problem. They've known about this problem for years. I mean, since they came there, since they were born there, you know, and since time immemorial, if you will, but if you know about these problems, then do something about it. And you're not going to do anything by just rioting. We've tried riots in the past. And that's not helped. All it'll mean is that you'll alienate yourselves from any moderates that there are out there. And you won't achieve your objective. The objective is to try and, you know, get as many people educated, try and influence uh, lawmaking, influence government, local government, national government, federal government, uh, get yourself into these kind of institutions, get yourself into the police, into uh, education, into 
you know, nursing, housing, all of these places where you can affect real change. And when you can, once you're into those institutions, then you'll be able to influence those institutions and then you'll be able to make a real change for your own people. And that's what I've always been that, that, that's a that's a really, really good way of saying, black people, you've been oppressed for so long, and I'm just going to tell you to do exactly the same as what every, every other person has told you to do. Last 40 years, that has not worked. And the fact is, what you're doing is saying, black people, you're oppressed, and it's your job to get over this oppression. And what we're not doing, what you're not doing in me, is turning around and saying, actually, we know this problem exists, just like the black community knows this problem exists, and just like the government knows it exists. And we should not be focusing on the people who are oppressed. We should be focusing on the oppressors, and it is the government's job. The government should be taking action on this, not the people who are oppressed, who have got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of barriers in front of them to get over to take part in institutions. Why don't we look at the institutions? Why don't we look at the government? And why don't we say to the government, you need to change and you need to be proactive in prescribing anti-racist policies to make sure that we do not have these problems, to actually de-escalate this situation? Carver, that that government that you're talking about has uh, been listening to the uh, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, what, for 50, 60, 70 years now? More than that, in fact. Have they changed? No, they haven't. So what's your option then? Well, maybe this protest is that acknowledgement that our people are getting fed up of that lack of change. But what we cannot say to someone is that if you're downtrodden, it is up to you to get into these institutions. It's up to you to get through endemic poverty, poor education, poor housing, all of the barriers that are put in your way to actually get to this position where you can influence change. If you're living in a council estate or a project, you are not going to be able to influence change as much as someone who is holding power. Why can we not say to the government, why can we not put pressure on the government to actually change their system, to introduce accountability into the police, to introduce systems that... Are... Why would they change? What possible pressure... Could uh, these people, even as a peaceful protest or even through rioting, what possible pressure could they put on, uh, on the... So if they can't put pressure on it, Imi, then how are they going to actually influence change by getting into these institutions? So what you're saying is wait another 100 years. That, that's the point I want to bring up, actually, as well. That's a fair enough uh, point that you've made there. But in terms of how many more people, um, black men, are going to get killed. You know, since um, I think it's between 79 and 2005, 94% of black men have been killed by other black men. Oh, here we go. Now we're on to black on black crime. One thing about black on black, black on black crime, one thing about black on black crime, Amy, yeah, it's not motivated by racism. No, oh, forget that for a second. Where's Black Lives Matter then? We're talking about racism, and what you're doing is like diverting it from racism. Yes, there is black on black crime, and black on black crime. There's a massive amount, no, no, but they say Black Lives Matter, but is it just matter in the sense of um, racism? What about? Yeah, but no, no. I think what you're what you're doing is you're misunderstanding the Black Lives Movement. The Black Lives Movement is looking at black lives being lost through racist actions. Now, when a black person kills another black person. That is not that is not a racist killing. So then black lives don't matter in that instance. When a black person kills another black person, it's not coming from a position of racism, of one person feeling superior to another person on the basis of your colour of your skin. Now, these are two completely separate issues. Yes, criminality within the black community is a problem that's acknowledged by the black community, but is different from 
black people being killed by white policemen, which is a racist killing. Does that make sense to you? Your point absolutely does make sense. And to a point, you know, I up to a point, I agree with exactly what you're saying. But what I'd say is that the number of black people killed by black people, you know, far, far exceeds anything that white racists have done, which doesn't negate what the white racists have done. Obviously, again, it's abhorrent, it's detestable, it's awful. But let's go back to that uh, point again. Don't uh, Black Lives Matter in that instance? Yeah, but you mean the the point that um, I guess you've got to make that let's say that we tackle this black on black crime. Yeah, let's say that we bring down those stats. That's not going to help bring down the institutional you know, racism that we're talking about, isn't it? The reason we're talking about. You're missing what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is we need to get our own house in order and then as a unifying force affect change. You're putting all the, all the honours for the change that has to happen on the black community. Listen, you've tried for 70, 80 odd years, okay, with the government, you've, you've pleaded, you've, uh, you've lobbied, you've protested, you've rioted, nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. What are you, you know, what are your options then? You carry on protesting. That's a that's the definition of lunacy, isn't it? Well, the definition of lunacy is trying to say, I'm going to, from my position of not being able to do much, I'm going to try and make a change. When I haven't got access to the resources to make that change. What access do they need? Well, what access do you think? What access do you think they need in me? No, 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 don't flip this back on me. I'm asking you. The, no, 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 they need education. Okay, fair enough. And why don't they have access to education? They do. No, the problem in this day and age is it's not a lack of resources, it's a lack of being resourceful. There's a difference, sir, okay? Now, it's up to each and every individual person to go out there and get themselves educated. If you're saying that they don't have enough uh, uh, school books or they don't have uh, enough teaching materials or whatever, you know, fair enough. I understand that, but there's libraries there. Go use them. They've got the internet there. We never had these things when we were kids. Go use them, okay? Okay, in, in response to that, I can't talk about you know, the state of American education, but let's look at British education here, yeah? We're talking about access to the internet. So we're in this lockdown now. The statistics are coming through, and it's becoming quite apparent that there's a huge digital divide between the haves and the have-nots. Now you talk about libraries. So in a town like Blackburn, where we've got approximately 100, 120,000 people, we've got one small library. Three of its rooms have been shut for the last 15 years. And I'm pretty sure it's a lot worse in America as well because they don't have the level of social spending that we do. You're presenting that as quite an easy solution. You're right, it's not an easy solution. What I'm saying is we've got to work towards these solutions. But the, what you're saying is that just that whole access to resources, you're making it sound like it's just come out of your house, walk 10 minutes down the road and you've got a really well-equipped library with fast internet speeds, with computers that are working, when that is not the case. And that's what I'm saying. It needs to be the government that makes that change. Yeah, just to you know, link it back to us as well. I think um, going back to our you know childhood, uh, my dad, you know, certainly had this conversation uh, you know with me. He said that to get anywhere in this kind of society, right? And you know, he clearly told me that you know it is a white, or, or rather a predominantly white, you know, dominated uh, uh, society. You're going to have to work twice as hard, three times as hard. And I think, I mean, that's what you're kind of saying at the moment, aren't you? That black people to improve their lot. They just need to suck it up and work harder than their white counterparts. When you use the phrase suck it up, I mean, it's, okay, 
that doesn't sit well with me. I understand exactly your point, you know, but I think your father was absolutely right. I think sometimes you've just got to literally get through it in terms of, you know, working as hard as you can in order to be the best. The question I'm asking is why should I have to work two times, three times, four times as hard as John Smith down the road to get access to the same level of... Because, because we're all saying that white privilege does exist. And if that is the case, and, you know, it's going to take generations to try and, you know, level the things up, then you might as well not wait for that and just do your own thing, work as hard as you can in order to beat John Smith. No, because you, white privilege is always going to exist until white people acknowledge there is white privilege and the government does things to actively overcome white privilege. We're not talking about equality here. We're talking about equity. And you've got to have that equity to ensure people from black minority ethnic backgrounds do not have to spend the rest of their generations living in this country saying generation after generation, you've got to work five times as hard as the person next door to us because the person next door to us is white. Then, Carver, isn't that why we've got uh, positive discrimination, you know, policies and affirmative action to speed up that particular process? And has that not worked? Is that not a tool to speed this whole thing up? Affirmative action only helps to redress the balance in recruitment of job roles within industries. It is not leading to systemic change. It is not a system to identify racial bias in the institutions. It's not a way to make it safe for people of colours to whistleblow, to complain about everyday racism. It is not investment in black minority ethnic communities. There's got to be some kind of solution where it's a bit like affirmative action. But what I think the government should be doing is looking at whenever it passes any legislation is to assess the impact of this on black and minority ethnic communities and mitigate any increase in racial inequalities. Make sure that if this act of parliament is going to increase racial inequalities, we need to risk assess it and we need to review it to make sure it does not affect them. And that is how you're going to get over white privilege. Affirmative action or positive discrimination, as some people call it, does have its place in it, but it's not the ultimate solution. Okay, so I think what I want to do is try and bring it back to us as well here in this country as uh, Asian people. And what's kind of our you know, response been to this whole Black Lives Matter? Uh, now, I've got my own you know, views on it, but what do you think um, the Asian you know, community in Blackburn, you know, let's just take our you know, surrounding area, uh, you know, areas, Blackburn, Accrington, Preston, whatever. What's been the Asian response to this Black, Black Lives Matter I'll tell you what I did yesterday. Yeah, I just to have a look at it. I know from the WhatsApp groups that I'm a member of that I've got predominantly Asian ones. I've seen a lot of what about tree on that. What about the Palestinians? What about the Kashmiris? But I thought, you know, Blackburn Council's got an Asian mayor now and it's got quite a few Asian councillors. So they did their usual tokenistic statement. So I thought I'm going to go on to Blackburn's new mayor, who's an Asian fella, Pakistani, British Pakistani fella. I thought I'm going to go onto his Facebook and see what condemnation he's done for it. And he's done absolutely none. There's pictures of him in his new mayor outfit and there's pictures of him, of his mates in Pakistan celebrating him. Nothing about Black Lives Matter. And I think that's generally been the reaction. A lot of people said, oh, it's bad that black man, you know, he got killed by the policeman there. And, but it happens to the Palestinians and the Jewish people do it all the time. And the Indians are doing it to the Kashmiris. So, and then they just shrug their shoulders and carry on talking about Pakistani politics. Yes, yeah, so isn't there an argument that says that there should be more of a condemnation of the thousands of lives that we lose every day in Syria, in Palestine, in India. There's uh, as much police brutality. And again, we've seen a couple of uh, videos out there as well, which are showing that on a daily basis. 
So why aren't people getting heads up about that? Why is the Black Lives uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, being taken over, and why are there protests across eighteen countries against that? Why isn't there the same level of protest against those deaths? Absolutely right. Uh, I mean, again, and we've talked about this a little bit earlier on about tokenism. That's exactly what's happening here. The level of hypocrisy here is is unbelievable. It's the same people that say, oh, black lives matter. But when they hear about the oppressions in Palestine, in Syria, in, uh, in Yemen, you know, in all of these other places, oh, well, you know, what can you do? What can you do? And then shrug the shoulders and then move on. And it... It's heartbreaking, you know, at least show a bit of sympathy towards that side as well. But no, you won't get any hashtags there. You won't get any blacked out uh, Instagram profiles there. You won't get uh, ITV switching off for um, eight, nine, ten minutes or any of the other uh, companies coming out and saying, you know what, we're really, um, really uh, dead against what uh, what's happening to the Palestinians right now. We need it to stop. We need it to stop right now. And uh, we're, we're going to boycott Israel. Or something along those lines. Nobody will ever come out and say that. But when it came to this one act, the whole world was up in arms. And it's just a hypocrisy of it all that, um, you know, in conversation with people, when I was at the post office today as well, even, I was talking about it with uh, with customers. And that was the exact same point that was being brought up, that it's happening all over the world, but yet everyone's chose to jump on this bandwagon. Go on, there is a lot of oppression going on around the world and there's lots of groups of people who are being oppressed by people in power and by governments and there's war crimes going on but at the same time I would say for me my, I can only speak for myself not for other people I would say as a member of a my ethnic minority living in the UK when we see structural racism like this in the US and it is happening in the UK as well you could name just as many people who have died in police custody over here it's going to affect me more and it might sound selfish, but when I see oppression happening in Syria or something like that, I feel bad about it and I will do what I can to it. But this affects me more because I'm a ethnic minority within the UK. And maybe it goes back to that point that we've we've already said, haven't we, the black culture has almost uh, pervaded, is, is now kind of intertwined with our culture, isn't it? Whereas Palestinian culture, Syrian culture, you know, Muslim culture doesn't really affect our day-to-day life, does it, in terms of our music, in terms of our fashion? So is it because of the fact that, hang on, this is going to affect us, this is our daily lives that could be kind of impacted by this? And that's why. Muslim culture does affect us, because we're, we're all Muslims, aren't we? But I think what we're talk, what, what I'm getting at, it's not the culture bit, it's the fact that I'm an ethnic minority in the UK. That's how it affects me. Would you not say, though, that um, in terms of saying that you should be able to highlight the other atrocities around the world, that's quite an easy get-out clause for us as well, isn't it? And again, look, this is just me speaking from my own personal uh, uh, you know, point of view. The racism that I see amongst some of the Asian community is on par, if not a hell of a lot worse, than any of the racism that I've seen on some of these uh, you know, Facebook groups um, that are kind of you know, supporting or, or rather against the rioting and the looting and the fact that uh, black people should be um, held more kind of accountable, but we we can't speak out. Is it because we're just kind of uh, you know racist as a community as well? Oh yeah, definitely we're racist as anything. You know, Asians generally, whether you're Pakistani, Indian, or Chinese or Japanese, we're a racist continent. Yeah, they will speak in a manner that if an outside person saw uh, heard that, 
they would think, oh my God, I can't believe how racist it, you know this is. But they would always, you know, approach anybody of a different ethnic uh, ethnicity, race, culture, whatever. They'd always um, approach them with a, a level of respect. Do you understand? So it, going back to my dad as well, he might say all sorts of weird stuff when we're sat at home. But say, for example, um, Dave comes in and uh, sees my dad, then we'd always, you know, he'd always treat him with that level of respect. Because for them, they don't, it's like, do um, you ever remember Mind Your Language? The racist show from the 70s. Yeah, I know you'd say that. But the thing is, at that time, it, was, it wasn't perceived as racist. Now it's been uh, perceived as racist. But at that time, it wasn't. And, you know, our, our elders or people of that generation wouldn't perceive it as racist. I know that. That's a very difficult one for me to get my head around. So basically what you're saying is that if we do it within the confines of our WhatsApp groups and our houses... Yeah, they're a product of their time, aren't they? What you're saying is, I think, you know, what Amy's trying to say is back in the 70s, when they saw a white man browned up as an Asian man speaking in a Bud Bud Ding Ding accent, they thought it was representation. One of the positive things to come out of this is that it has forced people to look at their own uh, behaviour as well, hasn't it? I saw today, um, what's he called, Keith? Keith Lemon, is it? The fellow who used to do Ball Selector? Yeah, Ball Selector. Yeah. So he's actually come out today and he said, look, I did a lot of black top, you know, characters. He famously did Craig David, you know, Mel B. And he's actually come out today and said, you know, I just want to look at them again. And, you know, looking at it in the context of everything that's happened over the last few days, he's actually come out and said, sorry. So even if, even if it forces people to do that, and, you know, even us, you know, looking at our own kind of, you know, behaviour, the way that, we kind of interact with black people, the way that we make jokes, you know, amongst ourselves. If it's done that, then maybe the, and you can't even justify it, but maybe the killing of George Floyd will have some kind of impact that you know, maybe some of the other deaths haven't. We all hope that, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, we all hope that uh, George Floyd's death is as impactful as uh, the death of Emmett Till, and in which, you know, the whole civil rights movement was born. But for, just to bring it back just a second, uh, you know, the uh, Keith Lemon uh, thing, uh, for him to come out and uh, have to apologise, it's extremely sad. Honestly, you know, when, you know, comedians and artists and people that do these things for a living have to come out and apologise for something that was never, ever intended to be racist. You know, he didn't... Was it not intended to be racist? Was it not modern-day blackface? Almost all of his characters were Black people. You had Scary Spice, you had Michael Jackson, you had Trisha Goddard, you had Craig David, you had, uh, what's he called, the magician bloke? No, I never thought that. Uh, he never made any fun of the actual, um, the colour, the ethnicity. It was always the um, the eccentricities of each character. So he got a, he got a load of black celebrities out there and he made caricatures of a load of black celebrities. I'm sure he's doing my character as well, isn't he? He has done, but the majority of his characters were black. No, the majority of the characters that we remember because they were so funny. No, the point, the point, the point that I'm trying to make is that if you don't intend to be in a racist, you can still be racist. Oh, God. No, I'm not. No, it was extremely funny, and okay. I, I listen. I understand exactly what you're saying. I know where you're coming from. I know why you'd say he's racist, but I honestly don't believe that um, his intention was to be racist. Now, people will, you know, will play that whole it was a racist uh, sketch thing, but um, I don't know. 
I just, I don't believe his intention was to be racist. I, what am I saying? Yeah, sorry for it, Amy. So, you know, he obviously now thinks that it's potentially wrong. Well, yeah, because he's under pressure. This is the thing, though. This is uh, what I'm on about. You know, white uh, people now uh, having, you know, this pressure put on them. They're feeling the need to apologize for everything. They're feeling the need to heal. It's not pressure. Maybe he's realised I was in a privileged position and I misused that privilege and I regret doing that now. He's re he's reflected on the position he's in and how he misused that unwittingly. I'm not saying he did it deliberately. I, well, I don't know, mate. I don't think four or five days has been that long to, you know, to reflect. I think that's, that's actually a really, really good point. And just the fact now, and one of the things, again, to go back to that um, Coco Goff speech, she said that she's had a lot of conversations with a white friend. And she didn't actually use that phrase. She said that she was educating her white friends. And I think this is the crucial bit now. We've got a duty as well to have those conversations and not be scared to have those conversations. We don't label people as racist. We, we kind of have an open chat about it. And to go right back, we've talked about white uh, you know, privilege. And I think one of the problems is why people don't actually understand what white privilege is. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's a role for us as well to kind of explain to them and give them our kind of experiences. But then the onus is on them as the dominant group, the control group, you know, whether we like it or not, that's still fact. White people still run this society. So it is up to them to kind of effect the change. But as Carl said before, black people do not, you know, currently have the tools. They don't have the power to be able to make that change by themselves. So now it's the time for that silent kind of majority to stand up and say, well, actually, we do um, hold our hands up and we do have a privileged position and we need to be, we need to stand you know, side by side you know, with you to make this change happen. We can hope they would do that, but I'm with Imi in the point of view that the minute in a week's time, everyone would have forgotten about it. The white people would have forgotten about it and people will forget about it again until the next black man is killed on video and then it'll blow up again. And it might gain a critical mass that leads to change. I can't see it leading to change unless we get the government decides to be proactive in fighting it. So then we have to go back and say, well, then white, uh, sorry, uh, black people are then within their rights to continue this, you know, protest, because that's the only thing that will keep this on the front page, isn't it? Exactly. And they should. You should keep pro protesting until you get what you want. And sooner or later, that protest will, it's inevitable that it is going to turn violent. And because you have idiots who are always get involved in them and you get a mass movement of protest, then people are going to, especially when it's for something as inflammatory as this, they're always going to be the idiots who take it to an extreme. And kind of history, you know, teaches us that, unfortunately, it is the violent protest that will ultimately you know, bring about change. Even if you go back to the suffragettes and things like that, you know, ultimately, it leads to people having to break the law and, unfortunately, give up their lives and stuff to actually affect this change because the cause is bigger than them, isn't it? I don't think violent protests would work, though, because you're up against a state and the state's resources are so vast now that um, you're on a hiding to nothing there, aren't you? I don't think violent protests will work. I think the best kind of protest that you can do is a continual protest that's disrupt disrupting everyday life. Peaceful protests that is having, you know, in places like New York City, in places like London, in places like Manchester, that disrupt day-to-day -day life, that affects the bottom line, and then you'll get change. It's very Gandhi-esque. We will go to the sea and make salt. I don't know what that was, to be honest. It sounds a bit more like Welsh to me. Honestly, there was a bit of daffid there, wasn't there, yeah? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think, uh, you know, Gandhi's a uh, good enough place to you know, leave it as any. Thanks for that. You know, heated uh, discussion as always. 
Uh, just a quick one to let our football uh, uh, enthusiasts know that we haven't forgotten about them. And there is going to be a podcast specifically on our best Premier League eleven. So keep an eye out for that as well. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening to Hara, Imi and Kazi on KitCast. Follow us on Twitter at kick underscore cast.